It's so good to be with you guys this morning. And man, I love worshiping. The, the opportunities I get to just kind of sit amongst you guys and, and worship. I mean, such an incredible time when we get to join together on, in, in this room in this time and sing. Well, Worthy of it all is, is probably my favorite song, right? Because it has nothing to do with me. It's complete praise and complete adoration to God. And that bridge, let incense rise, okay? It, let praises rise. Day and night, God, would, would praises rise in my life to, to honor you. But, hey, I'm so honored to, to be able to bring this word to you. We're going to be in Mark 5. Philip said that earlier. So, hey, listen, I got it all. I got my phone on Mark 5, my laptop, whatever you brought. You turn it to Mark 5 because we're going to go through the whole chapter today. We're going to unpack a lot. I'm very excited to do this with you guys, but I actually want to start, we're going to dive in, but I want to start with this just super generic question to get us rolling, okay? Now, by show of hands, listen, you give the worship leader the mic, you, you, that's volunteer, I mean, appreciation day right there, not volunteer appreciation, that's a whole other thing. Audience participation day, you give me the mic, we're going to have audience participation, okay? So across the room, by show of hands, have you ever been afraid, Okay. And right now we're also seeing who a liar is because we've all been afraid. So if you didn't, and some of y'all real quick, I, you're trying to get in the gate, the gate shut. But you've been afraid, right? Okay. And, and if that fear was legitimate, it's like, oh, I should be afraid of this car coming at me. That, that's good. You know, and, but sometimes there's these moments where fear is like, it, it was super terrifying in the moment, but then you kind of laughed about it afterwards. Okay. And, and to, to open it up, I want to tell a story uh, about a fearful moment. Me and my family went to vacation in, in Panama. And when I say my family, it was my mom and my dad, my, my family and brothers and sisters. So, you know, all in all, there's like 40 of us going to Panama. I'm not joking. I, as the oldest of seven, when you roll up in four minivans deep into this, this condo area and people are going, is it a conference? No, we're just on vacation, okay? So that's, and it never fails. Church, it never fails. When we go on vacation, something happens, right? We've had red tide, we've had the hurricanes, we've had the beaches closed and the pools closed on the same one. You're playing bingo in Florida. It's not that much fun, but it's part of it. So this particular trip, we're in Panama and a hurricane is, is in the area. It's not, we're not in any danger, but we're getting all the wind and all the waves. And, and as a landlocked Kentucky boy who always wanted to surf, never had the opportunity, okay, because it's not, it's frowned upon in the Ohio, but it is. So as a landlocked Kentucky boy, I'm, I wake up Friday. I'm like, look at these waves, 10, 15, 20 feet. These things are ginormous in my eyes. So what do I do? I go, I wake up my older brothers, Jonah and Noah. Yes, these are our real names, Jonah, Noah, and Micah. I go wake them up and say, hey, we're going to go play in the water. It's not safe, but it's going to be fun. Let's go. And I'm running out the door and I'm, Abby, look out the window. Watch me. I'm going to, no, she, I'm not going to watch you cast away, floating away with Wilson. I'm not going to watch that. Okay, we're going to sit here, you guys go. So we're out there having fun. And I don't know if you've ever been in, in water that, that's like that rough, uh, where the undertow, there's moments, right, where you're like, I'm not 100% sure I can make it back to shore. I'm out here having a blast, but there's this thought like, I don't know if I can make it back right now. And it's kind of terrifying, but you're having fun, so you're overlooking that fear. Um, but we get back to the shore, and we're, you know, you know, huffing, puffing from fighting the waves. So much fun, right? And I look at my brother Noah, go, hey, where's Jonah? And he goes, I, I thought he was with you. I, I thought he was with you. So church, legitimate fear and panic is setting into my heart as the old, I may have just lost one of my brothers as my mom is looking out the condo window going, where are all the, I may, so we're, we're gazing upon the horizon looking for a bobbing head. Maybe he's still playing. I, I don't know, but. Enough time has passed. We're like, okay, 
I don't like this anymore. Jonah. Jonah. You're on the beach just screaming at these waves. Jonah. And from what? First off, if you were in trouble, you don't yell what. That is not it. Help. Drought. Like whatever it is, you, you don't yell what. But that was part of it. And so, okay, okay. Where are you? Jonah. And he, from behind us, we hear, I'm up here. I've been done for 10 minutes. This isn't fun anymore. And so, but church, legitimate fear and panic. For however long, it felt like 30 years. It was probably like five seconds that I couldn't find him. But, but terrified, right? But today we're going to be diving into scripture in Mark 5. And we're going to look at three stories where fear plays a crucial role in each one. And then we're going to see what happens when Jesus steps in. So, hey, let's, get, let's kick it off right now. Mark 5, verses 1 through 6. Let's dive in together. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills, he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. All right, so we're kicking off this the scripture, right? And we see that Jesus, he's just calmed the storm. They finally made port, and he's just getting out of the boat. And here comes this man just, just like rolling up to him, okay? He, he's going, okay, well, this is, this is cool. And I love the detail that Mark gives us, right, when he's talking about his strength. He tore off chains and ropes, and it's important because he, he's, he's showing us in the small detail, this is, how, this is how strong, how supernatural strength worked with this man because of the power that he was being held captive to, okay? Now, wouldn't you think, as I'm reading this, wouldn't you think a demon-possessed man if he saw Jesus rolling across the, the Sea of Galilee, wouldn't his, first not, wouldn't his first move not be to run towards Jesus? Okay, I, it's just not what I would think. But, but the demon-possessed man knows the outcome is inevitable. He's coming. I'm in trouble. I'm just going to go beg for my life. That's about as good as I can do. So we keep reading in verse 7. He, the, the demon-possessed man, shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, son of the most high God? Let, let's stop it here for just a second because, church, this son of the most high God is actually really important. Okay, because throughout Scripture, throughout the Gospels, and throughout Mark, Jesus has a couple different names. Okay, and in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is only referred to as the son of God three times by someone other than a demon. Okay, and, and I just want to put those up for you these times. Uh, the first one is Mark, I'm sorry, Mark 1, 11, and that's Jesus' baptism. Okay, the second time is the transfiguration, which is Mark 9, 2. We're not there yet. We're in 5. We're not there yet. And the third one is Jesus' crucifixion in Mark 15, verse 39. And the only reason, church, the only reason I even bring this up is to kind of just show a spotlight that, that Jesus has the, these crowds forming around him and the disciples and all this is going on, but they really don't know who Jesus is yet. Okay, they, they, they really don't know. They're, maybe he's just a super awesome healing dude. Okay, maybe he's a just really powerful prophet. Maybe he actually is the Messiah we've been waiting on, but, but they're not for sure. And so in this moment, though, the demon-possessed man, more so the demon-possessing the man, knows exactly who Jesus is, even though his name wasn't super popular in this region yet, knows exactly who it is, and he knows the end is inevitable. So what's he do? He comes running up to Jesus because, church, 
The enemy cannot help but tremble in the presence of Jesus, this son of the most high God. The one who comes with all authority from heaven to calm storms, right? To make dead legs walk again. We saw that in the past chapters. And even, yeah, even to step out of a boat and by his mere presence, the enemy begins to tremble. And so don't miss that as we continue with these texts today. We're in verse seven. Here we go. Swear to God that you won't torment me for Jesus had said to him, come out of this man, you evil spirit. And Jesus asks him, what is your name? And, and church, I have a thought here. Will you track with me? I have a thought here, okay? Um, and it's not just Micah's thoughts one-on-one. That's not it. It's, there's some scholars believe, some believe this too. But I have a thought that in this moment, Jesus sees this forgotten man. Okay, he sees him in his condition, in his, his situation. And I think he looks him in the eyes like no one has done in years, right? Because, because of his condition, the city's kicked him out. No, man, his family's kicked him out. His friends have kicked him out. Man, you got, you got to go. You got to go. You're going to go live in the tombs, in fact, okay? So no one's looked this man in the eyes for years. And I think Jesus meets him exactly where he's at and says, my child, what is your name? Because Jesus sees through our torment and through our our tormentors. He sees through our disabilities and our inabilities. He even sees through the labels that are pinned on us by all of those around us. And what does he find? What does Jesus see when he peels back the veil? He sees children of God burdened by this life, carrying the scars of the past, burdened with the present, and fear-filled for the future. And so I, I think Jesus looked this man in the eye and said, what is your name? However, the man did not, he didn't respond, but instead the demon responds and says, my name is Legion. He replied, for we are many. Now, if you've been around church a little bit, you've probably heard this term Legion used before, and it, and it would have been very known in this, in this time, okay, as Legion referring to three to 6,000, okay, soldiers of, of a unit, of an army, okay? So we're not talking one demon, y'all. We're we talking thousands of demons possessing this man. That's why there's so much strength in him, so much supernatural strength. But catch this, Jesus doesn't care how many demons there are. He didn't go, oh man, he wasn't, he wasn't not ready for it. He doesn't care how many demons there are, nor does Jesus care how they got there. He doesn't spend time going, well, sit down, let's talk about your past sins, how did you get to this state in life? He doesn't care. Jesus is meeting him in the here and in the now and says, I'm re- you ready to be free? Because we're going to do this thing. I don't care. I, I, I'm here and now with you. And we're talking real freedom in the name of Jesus. And let's continue into verse 10. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. Verse 11, a large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. A very interesting text, okay? Very interesting text. You're going, Jesus, what the heck, man? What the pigs? What the, what? Why? Okay, but by doing this, Jesus is giving the now healed man, check that new name, the now healed man, and everyone watching a very visible, powerful, and, and graphic even, okay, display of what just happened. The display of power from, from this man, the torment this man was under, gone over here into the pigs. He didn't just, like there, there, was, there was a transaction, right? And then the pigs run into the lake and are 
drowned. And then we, read, we keep reading. Those in the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and the countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there dressed in his right mind. And they were afraid. They were afraid. The city rolls into this scene and they're going, I, I think I know that guy. This, and I don't know who this guy is, but this is, this is kind of interesting, right? And, and in this moment, I want to stop for a minute because they were afraid, it says. And in church, listen, it's so important that when we're reading scripture, okay, we look to relate to those in the story that are not Jesus. You hear me? I'm not saying don't be like Jesus. I'm saying that I relate more to the townspeople than I do Jesus, Okay, I relate more to the disciples than I do Jesus. And this will change the way that we read scripture because we're not, we're not looking at them going, oh, how can you not believe? Because I know that I am more like them than I am like Jesus. So God called me out on my unbelief. So keep that in mind as we keep rolling forward here. Verse 16, those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man and told about the pigs as well. And the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. Man. So the crowd shows up, okay, and they're going, I, I, what is happening here? Jesus, what, what's going on, okay? And they're, they're uncomfortable. They're going, I, I don't know if I'm okay with this, Jesus. I, I, you gotta go, man. And you, you see that, like, they're literally saying, hey, Jesus, I see that you have just done a miracle that saved this man's life, but you gotta go, because what you're doing is making us uncomfortable. You come in, Jesus, you wrecked my Monday, I had a schedule. I knew what was going on. Jesus, you wrecked my Monday, man. How about you come into our, our place of business, our place of living, and you do something weird, and I don't know how, I don't know how to handle it, so you, you got to go. Okay, and, and you hear what they're saying. You read what they're saying, but don't miss what they're actually stating here, okay? They're stating that we would rather be without the presence of Jesus than to be inconvenienced by it. And I know that that hits because how, how, much, how much of that, how much of that is, is relatable? We would rather be without the presence of you, Jesus, than to be inconvenienced by you anymore. And so Jesus says, okay. So he hops back in the boat. It says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had the demon possessed, I'm sorry, the man who had been demon possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him go, but instead... Jesus did not let him go, but said, go to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. The no longer demon-possessed man naturally says, Jesus, I want to follow you. Can I, can, I, can I come along? And Jesus says, no, you got work to do here. Okay, you have work to do here. And what's he said? Okay, so the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis, which means the 10 cities, how much Jesus had done for him and all the people were amazed. I love that you see, you see they were afraid and, and now they're amazed because of this man's story. And there's, there's a note here at church because there's a couple of reasons Jesus didn't let the man go with him. But one of them is, y'all, Jesus isn't in the business of, of building an army of healed people. It's not, it's not what he's about. Do you know what he's about though? He is about using ordinary people to put on display the same love and grace and mercy that has been shown to them, to all of those around them by simply telling their, their story. Okay, do we, do, we, do we get that? You know, go, just go and tell what happened. And I know, I know me, and so I know when I'm thinking, Jesus, what am I supposed to say? I barely know what happened. 
You want me to go talk about it? Like, what do I do? What do I say? Do I actually beat them with this Bible until the demons come out? Because I know Jesus, I know some people with some demons that need to beat out of them, right? And, and that's not it. And Jesus doesn't even give this man like a lecture. Hey, here's how you do it. Here's a pamphlet, notebook, quote it back to, he, he doesn't even do that. What's he say? He says, go, go tell your story. Go tell them exactly what happened. Go and display what happened to you to those around you. And man, if that, if that doesn't preach church, because I know, I know some of us have been praying, right? And we've been praying for God to step into a situation or God to step into to this and that. And Jesus is going, it's you. I, I put you, I've perfectly positioned you in that seat at school. I've perfectly positioned you at your workplace in that cubicle next to that person you really don't like. I have perfectly positioned you in your home to be the love and grace and mercy to your neighbor that was shown to you. I've, I've done, it's you. It is you. Don't overcomplicate it. Just tell your story. Don't overcomplicate it, church. It's you. Let's keep, let's keep reading here. Jesus is leaving, right? Okay, so they're getting back in the boat, which I'm sure the disciples are thrilled about. Let's get back in the, the death boat here, okay, from the storm. And Jesus, we just got out. We stretched our legs, and now we're, we're back. So they hop back in. It says, when Jesus had crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there, seeing Jesus. He fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him. My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her so that she will be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. And, and it's important to note right here, this synagogue ruler, okay, would have been under extreme pressure from religious leaders in the area. Hey, don't talk to Jesus. We're not really sure what's going on there. We think it's black magic. We don't really know. Don't, don't talk to Jesus. So he, not only is he risking a lot, he, he gets it by going to Jesus. What's his, what's his position when he, when he shows up to Jesus? What's he do? He falls on his knees and, and says, Jesus, it's only you can make a difference in my situation right now. Only you. And he, he understands. He understands that there are consequences to following Jesus. But he knows, oh, whatever it is, it's worth it. Public scrutiny, judgment, potential career loss here, whatever it is, it's worth it. And so we, we keep reading. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard, I'm sorry, when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his, his cloak. Hold on to that. Because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Okay, sidestep. Anybody here like podcasts? Show of hands, come on. Anybody like podcasts? It's just you're like, yes, I have podcast all the time. I love listening. I, there was like one person in 930. It really crushed me because podcasts are incredible. Y'all got to get on that boat, especially, you know, we've been encouraging our, our body here to, to dive into one of our uh, Bible reading plans. And one of them, the Bible recap, has an incredible podcast that goes with it. I can't encourage you to check that out enough. That's my plug there. But listen, I love podcasts. And a friend recently got me hooked on a new one called Making Disciples with Robbie Gallaty. And, and in one of their episodes, they break down this text. They break down this, this sick woman. And I thought it was incredible. And I wanted to share it with you guys 
today, okay? Because, look, um, being around church, growing up in church, you, you hear these stories a lot. And I kind of just thought that this woman was like, you know what? I'm going, and I was actually aiming for a shoulder. But I tripped, and he took a step, and I went for the foot, and then he moved. But I got the robe. I, I got the robe. And actually, there's, there's a lot of significance in this sick woman's motion, okay, for healing here, okay? And I wanna, I'm going to throw up some, some things here. You don't have to move to them, but I'm just going to flash them real quick. Numbers chapter 15, 38 says, Throughout the generations to come, you are to make tassels on the corners of your, your garments. So we see Jesus was appropriately dressed at this time, which is great. And then we keep going into Malachi 4, 2. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings. Or the son of righteousness, Jesus, will rise with healing in his wings. Okay, I love that. But hold on to that for just a second because wings there, okay. The Hebrew word for wings is a word known as kanaf. This same word right here, okay, is also used to describe the edge of something. So this woman would have known, this, the, the people would have known our Messiah is showing up with power in his kanaf, power in the edge of his robe. So in a time where people are trying to figure out who this Jesus is, this sick woman looks down from the window and says, I know that Jesus is the Messiah. I know that he's the healer and he can do things for 12 years that doctors have not been able to do. So I'm putting my faith into action. I'm going down and all I have to do is touch his robe because I know he's the Messiah. I know he's my healer. And so he does, and once it say, immediately her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once Jesus realized that power had gone out from him. He turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my clothes? Now listen, Jesus knows exactly who touched his clothes, but he's looking to make a point here. As he so often does, he's looking to teach a lesson on faith to the disciples and to the woman and to the crowd. And I love this because once again, the disciples seemingly have no idea what Jesus is doing. They're like, you know, and, and so while it's so easy for us to read this text and go, man, y'all a bunch of blockheads. Like, you're missing it again. I have to remind myself, Micah, you are more like those disciples than you are like Jesus. And so it's important in this moment for me to pay attention. In verse 31, you see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered. And yet you can ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around. You know, Paul, forget it. Just, I'll figure it out. You know, he, he keeps looking around, right, for who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. This woman just received her healing, but she comes trembling in fear because, yeah, she was just healed. But she also knows that because of her condition, okay, she was un clean. She wasn't allowed to have any social contact because of, because of her illness, because of her sickness. And now she's in the middle of this crowd and she's worried. She's worried that someone's going to go, and I know you, I, you're that woman with the problem. You're that woman with that thing. You can't even be outside, let alone touching this guy's robe. What is going so she's, she's, she's terrified. And so, but she's sitting there before Jesus and what's his response? So, so sweet. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. You see, although the woman was healed when she touched Jesus' robe, what Jesus say? hey, your, your faith has healed you. And that's so, so critical, church, because genuine faith, genuine faith involves action. You know how easy it would have been for this girl after everything that's going on 
to sit up in her room and look down. I think that's Jesus. I think that's him, but I, but I don't know. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray from it from here. No, no. She sees it. She says, "This is it. I'm going down." And listen, I, I don't talk to you as someone who's figured this out. <laughs> and instead, I very much talk to you as someone who often struggles to put my faith in words into faith into action. Faith that God, you you see me and you know me, and you hear me when. When the diagnosis is literally the worst thing that I can possibly imagine. God, that you see me and that you are still my comforter when fear, anxiety, and depression are so overwhelmingly in control in this moment. That's what it feels like. And and God, would you give me faith like this woman to brush, to get my way through the crowd because I believe in who you say you are, that you are my comforter, you are my healer, you are Messiah, you are Jesus, the son of the most high God. And so as we, let's, 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 let's keep going here, okay? While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Church, I want us to, I want us to get this in our mind, okay? I, I want us to, to get this. You see it, okay? On Jesus' left, the woman, sick for 12 years, your, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. And on his right, here come these men to talk to the synagogue ruler. Your, your daughter is dead, and you can see Jairus just begin to crumble and, and his face, you can see his posture begin to just be overwhelmed with the fear and the disappointment and what is happening. And he's, he sees this and he's going, Jesus, I am so glad for this woman's healing, but, but why at the expense of my daughter? Why, if we had just kept moving, maybe she would still be alive. But what's Jesus do? If we keep reading here, what's Jesus do in verse 36? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe. I, I love, because you can, how like Jesus, right, in this moment? I, oh, no, no, no. I heard you. I just don't care. Right? I, I'm, I'm Jesus. I heard you. I just don't care. No, Jairus, come here. And you can see it. He grabs his face and he says, listen, you saw that woman's healing. You saw her faith. Jairus, don't be afraid. Just believe. And from this point on, he moves out and says he did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. And when they came to the home of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. This, this would have been customary for this time, right? Because this, this reflected respect and honor to the deceased. But it says, Jesus went in and said to them, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went into where the child was. Okay, y'all ready? Because this right here gives me goosebumps because Jesus is about to do something incredible. This is the bridge of the song that we so love to sing. Death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced the boats of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to life again. This is it. This is the culmination of everything happening. In verse 41, he took her by the hand and said to her, to leap the coom, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. I say to you, get up. Jesus ignores the news brought to Jairus. He meets him exactly where he's at, and he he comforts him. And when Jesus walks in the room, the odds drastically shift in favor of Jesus, son of the most high God. And it was transferred, right? The advantage was transferred from the one, the death, death to the one who would pay for death. And through the spoken word, Talitha Kuhn, 
He unleashes the power of the Holy Spirit to bring this girl back to life. In verse 42, immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. And at this, they were completely astonished. You see the thread, church. You see the thread. Astonished, we go from fear to amazement, fear to astonishment. But listen, look at this. This little detail that, that Mark gave us. I love Mark's writing. This little detail. How old was the girl? How old was the girl, church? She was 12 years old. The same amount of time that the woman who just got healing had suffered, right? So for 12 years, you can see it for 12 years, this woman in pain and agony and shame and loneliness. And for 12 years, this little girl is growing in protection and provision and love and grace. And in this moment, they collide. In this moment, drastic stories collide. In this moment of fear. But what happens? What's the shift? What changed? Jesus stepped into their situation. And church, where Jesus is, there is hope. And where Jesus is, there is healing. Do we see it today, church? Do we, do we see it today? Where Jesus is, there is hope. Where Jesus is, there is healing. And Jesus kind of does something really interesting at the end of this, right? He, he closes us out with, this really interesting instruction. He, he gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. All right, now why, why did Jesus just tell these parents, hey, don't go, don't go talk about it. We good here. Okay, but he just told the demon-possessed man, hey, go tell the 10 cities. Like, like wow, okay, there's, there's actually a number of reasons why, but what it comes down to is this, it's not time here. Okay, because in this, in this region, Jesus would have been bombarded by religious lords. Did, did you heal that girl? Did you raise her from the dead? And he's going, I, we in Mark 5, we got a lot of Jesus' story to go. He's going, it's, it's not time yet. It's not time. And if Jesus is about one thing, it's about timing, right? Because he knows his, his story. He knows how it's going to lay out. So he says, hey, it's not time yet. But instead, hey, she's hungry. Give her something to eat, which I love. Because again, we see Jesus meeting the needs of the girl in the moment. And so church, in this chapter that we just walked through, okay, we see some incredible things, but I'm always overwhelmed with the immense power of Jesus and also the immense compassion. That, that he doesn't go to the, the kings and the high rulers, right, and, and ask for all these things and, and put, on, put his power on display. No, where does he go? He goes to the unclean, right? In this story, those three individuals, Okay, we're unclean. They would have been cast out by society because of what is going on, right, because of that. But what's Jesus do? He meets them exactly where they're at. He meets them in their need, and he changes everything. He comes in. He doesn't say, hey, you, actually, um, you need to fix yourself up first, sick woman. You, you need to figure that out. Go to some more doctors before you can come to me. No, no, no. Jesus is all about, I'm going to meet you exactly where you're at, and we're going to walk together from there. And so I, I absolutely, absolutely love it. But I, I do want to ask a question. I kind of want to end with this, okay? I want to ask us a question. Hey, where, where, where do you relate? And, and you're like, those are really intense stories, my God. They were. Those were three really intense stories. But where, where do you relate? Because this can't all be for naught. This can't just be about an hour. This, this Jesus that just did these three incredible things, he should change my Monday. He should change how I respond to my coworker that I really don't like. He should change how I respond to my kids when I'm just frustrated. He should change everything. So it's important, where, where do I relate? And that we spend time asking God, hey, where, 
how am I more like the disciples in my unbelief than I'm like Jesus? How am I more like the townspeople and the city people? Where, where am I afraid, Father? Where am I asking you to step out of my life? Where instead should I be inviting you into, Jesus? What closet doors are still locked? And I'm saying, no, 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 you can have it all, but not this one. Okay, would, I just ask, hey, would we spend some time in that today? As we, as we go from this place, as you go to lunch, you go see family, whatever it is, that like this should change everything because that's what Jesus does. And so church, today, that's it. As, as we leave this place, if you do anything, would it be to spend just a little bit of time asking Jesus, hey, what, what do I need to do to be more like you, Jesus? Where do I relate in these stories? And so, God, we give it to you, and we thank you. We thank you for this time where we can just come and be open and vulnerable and read Scripture. We thank you for the Scripture to read. We thank you for the stories and, and how they relate, God. And I ask all across this room today that we are awoken to a difference, awoken to a change, God. Would you awaken us as a church to what you're doing and how you're moving? so that we can go out of this place and we can love our family better. We can love our coworkers better. We can love those at our schools better, God. And that when people ask, oh man, let me tell you my story. Don't overcomplicate it. Let me tell you my story because the same God, the same Jesus that stepped into the demon-possessed man's life, the sick woman and the dead girl, the same Jesus, the same power is still here today and we believe it, God. So would you come and move in our lives? We invite you, we welcome you, and we thank you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.